We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee. And this is episode 64. We thought it would be fun to give you a little two-episode series today that is coming at you live. This first episode is in the trainer's perspective, and the second episode is in the perspective of two of her clients that have been with her pretty much their entire lives. So for this episode, our guest today is the trainer of Carriage Hill Farms. She has been in the equestrian industry for several years now and has had some major success in the equitation and jumper divisions. So here to talk today about her farm and how she got to where she is today, here is Jane Finessi. So happy you came on the podcast. Would love to hear about how you got to where you are today with Carriage Hill Farm and would love to kind of rewind and hear a little bit about how you got started in the equestrian world. All righty. Well, my whole family rode except for my mother, who was petrified of horses, but my father rode. And we all basically just took lessons. We didn't own any horses or anything. I learned out of a riding school, kind of hence why I still have a riding school. Yeah. And it was at a hunt club in Michigan. And it's just something that I felt I had a God-given talent for, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So you started riding. Were you riding in the hunter-jumper division or what did that look like starting out? Yes, it was all all hunter jumpers. When I I started when I was five or six, by the time I was 11, I was doing jumpers. I used to have clinics with the likes of Gordon Wright, you know, which was people who taught like George Morris. Mm, (laughs) I'm I'm a little old. So, (laughs) so yeah, it was all done. My instructor actually was a sergeant in the cavalry. So, you know, a lot of it was based on, you know, drill teams and cool. By the time I was 11 and doing jumpers, we were doing like miniature versions of the of the Olympics where we had all different clubs fielded teams of four. Oh, nice. And we competed against each other that way. So What a was, great way know, to learn. Yeah, it was a good education. Yeah. For sure. So, so you were riding, you were you were, you know, enjoying your time, loving the horses, loving the sport. At what point in time were you like, you know what? I think I want to do this the rest of my life. I think I want to make this my profession. Well, when I was in high school, I pretty much thought that that's what I was going to do. Uh Only my parents said I had to go to college. (laughs) So I went to college for one year as an art major. And I did take a riding class at the school. I knew more than the instructor, unfortunately. (laughs) So after the year, after the year of college, I went home to my parents. I said, look, I know I want to do the horses. I don't need a college degree to do that. So I'm going to go into the work world. My parents weren't very happy, but they didn't tell me no. Basically, my father told me if I wanted to go back to school two years later that I was going to have to pay for it myself because he was Mm. going to take my college fund and move it down to the next child. There were six of us, so there were a lot of us. Oh my gosh. And I said, that's okay. Keep your money. (laughs) Yeah. Did any of your siblings continue riding? Nope. Okay. Nope. They all can still ride. My brother used to, when he used to come and visit me, he would, you know, come and ride a little at the farm, but none of them followed. 
Okay. I mean, we were, I, would, I grew up in suburbia, so it wasn't yeah. like I grew up on a farm or anything. Got it. So you decide, you know, hey, mom and dad, I'm done with this college thing. I'm going to, you know, go into and do horses full time. What were your first steps? I mean, how much knowledge did you have as far as starting something like this? Well, I probably had none, but um, <laughs> I didn't let that stop me. Sure. My first job was working for a master of hounds in Metamora, Michigan. For I w- worked for them for a year, okay. and I rode out daily with the the mother of the household mm-hmm. and we fox hunted. They had kids that were in college and we fox hunted all fall and winter in the snow, etc. But basically mm-hmm. my duties were everything from cleaning stalls, attacking the horses for the clients to riding out with, with the lady, cleaning their boots, cleaning the tack, you mm-hmm. name it. I had to do everything. And they also had a couple young horses. So they actually gave me a couple young horses to start. Cool. So I kind of started doing that. And then about a year later, I got the opportunity to actually run the Gross Point Hunt Club, which is where I learned how to ride. Mm. And they were failing badly financially. And so I talked my way into them hiring me. And my father did a lot of books, so I must have gotten some innate. And my brother's a CPA. So I'm some innate financial aspects, not that it was taught to me, but by osmosis, I guess. (laughs) Sure. Um, Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) I took over the place and I changed up how they did things. And by the time I was there about a year and a half, by the time I was done, it was almost in the black. And I told them to get it into the black. My Mm -hmm. belief was they needed to, it was a private club that they needed to create a junior membership that allowed kids to come in and ride, but not be full-on members. And then if the okay. kids get really hooked, then the parents could become full-on members. They weren't allowed to use any of the other amenities, you know, because there was a pool and tennis courts and right. a restaurant and, you know, so they actually turned me down for that. And I said, well, then I've done all I can do and I'm going to pack all my stuff and move to Florida. <laughs> About three months later, they actually took my advice and created that very same program. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and it went on to to be more profitable for a while. It has since gone out of business, but it it worked for a while. So, wow. So that was kind of an interesting, <laughs> you know, but which was fine. So I basically packed all my I didn't like doing it in the winter. I had decided that right. if I was going to do this, I didn't want to do it in the winter. And I'd actually gotten a little burnt out. Sure. Because I was young and I was working my butt off, but mm-hmm. Everyone had known me since I was a little kid, so they thought, oh, isn't this cute? My, my maiden name was Peabody. Little Janie Peabody is trying to be a trainer and like patting me on the head. And I don't yep. do very well with patronization. Right. So I said, okay, you guys can figure it out yourself. So I learned how to bartend and I packed my van that I had personally put the shag carpeting in and the paneling on. Nice. <laughs> and had a thousand dollars in my pocket and I kept driving south until it got warm enough for me to live in it. Wow. And so what part of Florida did you settle in? Well, I thought I was going to stop in Daytona because I okay. had relatives there, but it was still too cold to live in the van. So I kept <laughs> going south and it got warm enough in Pompano. So I okay. kind of started in Pompano. Got it. And then wow. I've basically been between Pompano and Delray Beach or Boynton Beach for almost 50 years. Wow. So you arrive in Florida. 
Tell me how Carriage Hill Farm came to be. Was that the next step in the journey or were, were there more steps no, in between? I, I actually had my first horse job down here. I actually st- started bartending. I didn't do the horses at all. Okay. I took a little bit of a break from it. Yeah. I mean, six months, not a huge break. And I, somewhere along the line, saw a sign for a horse show somewhere. And I said, let me go see what the horse shows are like down here. Yeah. And this was so long ago. You know, I mean, the horse shows were not much. There was no WEF, no... It was pretty sad, actually. Sure. And so I went to this little horse show and I went, oh my gosh, these people are so terrible. I said, <laughs> I can be a big fish in a little pond down here. Meaning yeah. I know I know more than most of the people that I'm watching doing what they're doing. Right. So I went to a local place that's not, no longer there, but it was called maybe Triple Trails at the time. And they did everything from trail rides to et cetera, et cetera. So... I hired on, I cleaned their border stalls, which there weren't a lot of borders because it was a dry stall kind of facility. It had okay. three big barns, and but they had a s- strip of, of boarding horses. So I did, I mucked the boarding horses stalls and I took out the trail rides and then I would take the trail horses after the trail rides into the ring and find out which one I could teach to jump. <laughs> so then I would take a couple of the, those horses to jump so that I could start taking lessons. I mean, start giving lessons. So I then you know, slowly built it from there. And at that facility, I met my future ex-husband. <laughs> and he actually kind of pushed me to go out. And at that point, he actually had a girlfriend at the time. He and myself and his girlfriend all went to another farm and started what was going to become Carachel. In other words, started our own business, but we did it with the property owner was called Jumping Springs Farms. It too is no longer around. It's kind of where the sawgrass and lions is. And we started by getting a couple school horses and just one step at a time. Eventually, by the time we were done, we had 10 school horses and 30 borders in a 40, well, probably 35 borders in a, in a 30 stall barn. Or no, in a 40-stall barn. <laughs> we, always had a, we always had a couple that had to live outside. Yeah, a little overflow. <laughs> um, but eventually, we were splitting the money with the owner of the property, and he kept changing the numbers. Oh, as okay. The better we did, the more money he took. So we finally said, <laughs> okay, Interesting. We're, gonna have, we're going to have to figure this out for ourselves. Right, right. So we then moved to Delray Beach at Tierra Del Rey. There was a couple little baby steps in between, but that was the... First, that was kind of the start of Carachel Farms. And its name came from the fact that when we were on our honeymoon, we bought a doctor's buggy and we used to use it as our judges stand because we used to put on horse shows at these places. I mean, we put on horse shows back when Margie was a junior. Wow. And if you think it's a logistic nightmare to get her to the ring now, you should have seen (laughs) when she could ride from small ponies all the way to open jumpers. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It was it was a little crazy. Oh, that's so. <laughs> so we started out Tierra del Rey, then built that barn for us, and and Caracho was kind of born. And I've just it's always been just a step the ladder, step the ladder, step the ladder. I could have never imagined that I would be as big or as crazy or have done <laughs> as much as I've done in it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a big enough imagination back in those days. I could have hit a ceiling at any at any level, but I've been lucky. I just to keep pushing upwards, upwards, mm-hmm. upwards, upwards. Yeah. So the original vision 
was there any type of well, vision? Not really a vision as much as, I mean, I always knew I wanted to have a lesson program because that's where I came from. Yeah. That was important to me. So I've always had a lesson program. For years, I did the boarding and I did everything. Uh-huh. I don't have to do that anymore. But back in the day, I lived on the farm and mucked the stalls and fed yeah. the horses and rode the horses and taught the lessons and you name it, I did it. I started to get some clients that really wanted a horse show and clients with multiple horses. And that's, that's actually where my ex and I parted ways. Hmm. We had bought some property. I knew that the only way to save any money in this business was maybe to own property. Sure. And we could not afford property in the Boca Raton Delray area. So if we were going to have to move out of the area, we said, okay, well, let's look, you know, where would we want to live? So we went, we took a drive, we took a two week vacation, we took a drive and our intent was to go up Florida, like to Atlanta, over to South Carolina and back down. Hmm. Well, we ended up finding a piece of property outside of Atlanta Okay, and we bought it, but the business started taking off for me with the horses going to the bigger horse shows. Right. And I didn't, I, at that point, didn't want to leave the business I'd already built. Right. And so he, he moved to Atlanta and kept the farm up there. And I, uh, kept going down here and we slowly, you know, eventually split apart and we remained friends and he passed away a few years ago um, from cancer, but it was very amicable. Mm-hmm. And I had kids that I had pony kids that were doing well. And all of a sudden I found myself at Devon and then mm-hmm. I found myself at indoors. And then I, you know, in other words, wow. I had never done any of that Yeah, as a kid, you know, that was not, most of my experience was, was with jumpers actually. I mean, okay. I, because I could, I could take a school horse and be the fastest one and still win. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, it's pretty hard to take a school horse into the metals and the clays or into the hunter. <laughs> right. hunter I did some of it, but you know, there was no real competing successfully on a lesson horse mm-hmm. <laughs> in those, right. in those arenas. So, right. so I pretty much just, you know, and to be honest, I didn't even really care about the competing part. I like bringing up young horses. Mm-hmm. We were buying horses off the racetrack, bringing them up, selling them, you know. So my favorite thing at the time was to bring young horses to the ring. Right. That's kind of gone by the wayside since then. But I, my knees are so bad, I can't ride anymore. So mm, yeah, unless I want new ones. I guess if I get new ones, maybe I can ride again. <laughs> but I, I haven't decided upon doing that yet. Got They're it. not that bad. Yeah. So, so it's just kind of, it's kind of evolved, Yeah. you know, but it's always been, to me, the basis has always been, I felt like giving youngsters the exposure to this world and they don't have to be the uber wealthy. Right. Yeah. That's you know? a very unique kind of niche of client to have because there's so many in that kind of division out there. And a lot of times they don't know uh, what to do or where to go or how to get to where they want to be. And having that avenue is uh, very important in our industry to keep it going. Do you well, have- I think it's funny because I have probably a half a dozen old students that do this for a living. Mm, wow. <laughs> you know, and they do it for a living for themselves in Virginia, all the way up to Dottie Barnwell is kind of third in command at Andre Dignalis at Heritage. So So cool. Yeah. And to be honest, the kids growing up and learning to be productive adults and, you know, good sports and Mm -hmm. 
clapping for their friends and all that kind of stuff is honestly more important to me than teaching them how to jump around the course of jumps. Right. Who they are as human beings. I mean, I like to think that the large, I mean, some of them don't like me when they go away, but <laughs> they'll come back when they're 30 and say, wow, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so true. That's that really Dottie. cool. Dottie did that to me at the <laughs> Challenge once. She came up and said, you know, I now realize that you were more of a mother to me than my mother. My mother was trying to be my friend and you were thumping on me, trying yeah. to make me a better human being. And at the time you were the worst, but now she gets it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, she was the worst at the time. I mean, she was <laughs> horrific. She might, she might have to take that cake. You know I mean? I had yeah. a couple. And I have another one who now has her own Pilates business in mm. Kansas City. In other words, and she attributes, you know, watching how my work ethic and, right. you know, to her being a successful businesswoman, you know, yeah. so those, these, and these are, these are things that really move me mm-hmm. more than, you know, it's exciting to have a, a horse that wins. You know, I had a sure. first year horse many years ago that was fabulous and I've had this and I've had that, but nobody remembers that stuff, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yep. But it these, comes these and goes are, for sure. These, all these other kids are still friends with me on Facebook, you know? <laughs> exactly. There's something to be said of that for sure. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, I, they still all keep in touch. They want to have reunions. They're working on a reunion <laughs> right now. So, wow. You know, so, so that's what, that's what really probably drives me more than anything. Before we get in a word from our sponsor, I want to talk about them for a little bit because I have worked with and worn Tucker Tweed equestrian products for a while now, and I love them. The quality leather is amazing, and I'm always wearing their Wellington wristlet and their backpack. The products are stunning. If you are familiar with Tucker Tweed Equestrian, then you most likely know and have seen how often they promote their retail partners. With the cancellation of a number of nationwide horse shows, many retail partners are missing out on key opportunities to see and service their clients. So, to support their partner tax stores, Tucker Tweed is encouraging you to shop tax store websites during those missed horse show dates or purchase through Tucker Tweed directly, but then make sure to tag the respective tax stores in the order notes. This way, we can can all support tax stores and each tax store receives credit for any purchases made. Thank you so much for that reminder, Jill Tweedy, founder of Tucker Tweed. You are amazing, Jill. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Throughout the years and as you have grown and evolved, do you have a favorite level or age to teach? I, I can't say I do. I think it's really exciting when they hardly know anything. So uh-huh. the real beginning and you see the light in their eyes when they actually figure out posting or figure yeah. out their diagonals or their first cross rail. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is very, it makes me very enthusiastic when I teach because it's so exciting. But yeah. of course, it's certainly very exciting to be standing in Paris under the Eiffel Tower and right. clapping for your kid, jumping around, you know, a two star. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can't, you know, they're, they're, they're just exciting for different reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely. so it really all levels you know, have their, their good points and their bad points. Right. Yeah, definitely. When you were riding and you were, I know you said you primarily did jumpers. You also did some of the metal classes, correct? Yes. What would you say is, I guess, are some major differences from when you rode in those classes to now as you're training your students for them now? It's so much more technical. Okay. I mean, I don't even remember as a kid being told about a lead change. Mm. You were galloping around an open, an open course <laughs> yeah. so fast that most 
courses just probably did them, but sure. it wasn't like we were taught them. <laughs> I know Got that sounds it. very bizarre, Yeah. but, and I remember a metal class where it was literally like five jumps and you did them in a, they were four in each corner and one across the middle. And you literally did like a, a figure eight. You went from the one corner to the middle jump to the uh-huh. other corner, up to the other corner, back to the middle jump, back to the other. Wow. You know, I mean, it was all bending lines. Mm-hmm. Now we, now we would have had to do them in a specific amount of strides. We didn't, sure. you know, we jumped, we rode in big fields. So we didn't have a lot of that. So yeah. all the stride counting. I mean, I've had to learn all that as I've grown. Right. You know, the words and it's watching and listening. And, you know, I've had Bernie Trauer again for clinics. I've had uh-huh. Katie Monahan in for clinics. I mean, Katie Monahan and I were contemporaries. Yeah. Uh, Katie Prudent, she's not Monahan anymore. We were contemporaries. She may be a year or two younger than me. And I can remember to this day, one of my biggest thrills was I won a equitation flat class that had, I don't know, 20, 25 kids in it. And at that time, they used to make all of us do a little figure eight pattern. So we were all standing in the line and I, and the judge told us, I want you to go off, strike off to the left, trot two circles, canter two circles, halt back five steps and go back to the line. Something along Mm -hmm. those lines. Mm -hmm. Well, the first one goes out and she goes to the right. The second one goes out. She goes to the right. The third one goes out, goes right, 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 right. Well, I never have been built like an equitation rider, number one. Um, I'm a little thick for that. (laughs) And I go out. Now I'm the 15th or 18th one to go. And I go left. And I do my whole pattern. Now you can almost hear them laughing behind me because I'm the only one that went left. And then everybody after me went right. Not one person went left but me. And I won. Wow. And... It, you know, it's something I, I express to my kids. And now that's not changed. You know, I express right. to the kids, when you're going to test, you listen to every word that judge says and try to do it exactly the way the judge says it, because they're looking for something specific. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, and there I was, the dumpy kid on the dang lesson horse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there you all go. the kids on their fancy horses. And uh-huh. I was, you know, I won the class. Right. And thank, you know, it was nice of the judge to actually do that. You know, because everybody else had gone the other way. So if he really wanted to just ignore it, I wouldn't have been able to complain. You know what I mean? Yes, <laughs> In other words, it's not yeah. like, so that's so wild. In that sense, it's very much the same, but it's not, it's so much more technical and so much more specific. You know, you, you've just got to, you've got to control every single step of the course, which is a tough thing to do. Yeah. What are some things that you do to help teach that control with your students? Well, to be honest, I now have two girls that are really much better at it than I, because mm-hmm. I don't come, from, I come from the school of feel. Yeah. The way I explain it, I always have people that work for me that are very detailed oriented. I'm a big picture person. Uh-huh. So I'm the one that can stand back and look at the course and judge it like a judge is going to see it. Mm-hmm. Meaning as a whole complete unit. Right. But obviously if it's choppy or it's, isn't smooth, you know, so I've always had people that have worked for me that like the details that do, we, we do the Cavalettis on bending lines and, right. you know, they have to do four strides and five strides and six strides and back to four or open mm-hmm. to three, you know, in other words, all kinds of exercises like that. But to be honest, it's really Meredith and Haley now that, which is Meredith Gallagher and Haley Iannotti, mm-hmm. who are both very focused in that way. and. 
they do a lot of those exercises. And come, you know, fall season, we actually make our ring smaller by putting rails, you know, inside the rail Hmm. and try to make it the size of indoors. And we make up courses or we pick up old courses from years past and create them and try to get the kids to be able to answer all the questions that have been asked in the past. But it's swear, I swear every year there's something new. Yeah. <laughs> or I something know. harder. <laughs> yeah, you don't think you're like, okay, there's no way. But yeah, they it seems like it happens to well, be it's so funny. One year Dottie's older sister went and I just she had a small ring in their backyard. I went I used to drive to their backyard to do it. <laughs> and they had a a quarter line jump and a line. And I said to her, I said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to jump the end of the line over to the quarter and back. Meaning, Mm -hmm. so like making a big half a circle. And it was like four strides and four strides. I mean, and it was hard to do because they were kind of far apart. Well, no lie, that exact line was at Harrisburg. And the mother goes, Did you know that? And I go, No, I didn't know it. I just got lucky. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Love when that happens. (laughs) Yeah, I love. Yes. And it's interesting how many times it's happened to me. Wow. (laughs) Kind of well, this is just like what we practice at home. And I go, perfect. So then you'll be comfortable doing it, won't you? Mm-hmm. You know, awesome. so it's, and the bottom line is, I really think the equitation, it's become so, oh, you must win one or, oh, you've got to get a prize. To me, the equitation is just the stepping stones to learning the tools to be able to be a good jumper rider. Right. So are you, are you a strong advocate for having your clients and your students go through the equitation program as, you know, that prerequisite for the jumpers? Correct. Yeah. I mean, they may do it at the same time. And sometimes as they start getting good at the jumpers, they go, I don't want to do the ec anymore Uh because they're not quite good enough. And I tell them, I said, I don't care if you're not getting a prize. Mm -hmm. It's about you learning the tools, having the tools in your toolbox that you can pick the right tool out when you need it at the time you need it when you're trying to go, you know, Mach 1 right. in the Grand Prix field. Yep. You know, exactly. and if that's where you're trying to get, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, unfortunately, I think it's gotten a little bit robotic, unfortunately. Right. And I don't think they give credit where credit's due to the ones that can really kind of go and gallop around the course because uh-huh. it's become a little, like I said, to me, it looks robotic. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, to me, they're standing up out of their, I mean, if you really look at a lot of the pictures of the yeah. good at kids, they're standing up out of their stirrups, their knuckles are back in their stomach. Yeah. You know, I go, that's not correct. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've always taught kind of a middle of the, I mean, I've, cause I've gone through a lot of eras. I went oh, through yeah. flat, you know, I had a, I had a flat for me saddle. I had a Steuben with that is more like what we ride in now, mm-hmm. you know, back when I fox hunted. So yeah. I've gone through knee rolls, no knee rolls, toes out, toes in, you uh-huh. know, you know, crest release, automatic release, you know, right. and, and, and there, there's all these to me, extremes we tend to go to, but I always teach the middle ground. I've yeah. all, you know, it's what's in, interesting to me. And I've never really thought of it. But as I've now gotten old enough, when I, I can see pictures of kids and I have a hard time deciding who it is because I put a stamp of position on them, even though I wasn't aware I was doing that. In uh-huh. other words, they all, they're, all of their angles are similar. All of their releases are similar. All of their, <laughs> yeah. how much they fold is similar. 
because, you know, I teach the basics, you know, I mean, if if you don't have strong basics, to me, you can't go any farther. Right. And there's only so much you can teach as far as position goes. And then you need to let them go do. And, And obviously each judge has a different look that they look for. So the best you can do as a trainer is to really just uh, have those. Well, I just try and get a good, strong, classic position. Yeah. You know, I love it when they, when you see the old pictures get popped up in the Chronicle or wherever they say, you know, and they'll they'll say, oh, look at their classic position. Mm -hmm. Well, the bottom line, all those angles are the exact same angles I look for all the time. Yeah. And I've looked for them from day one. And most of those people that are taking pictures are, the, are people that rode, you know, in the same era as I, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when you get older. <laughs> Looking at your program and your barn, it, it seems like there are quite a few people out there who have been through your entire program from like start to finish. Well, they, whether they started from the walk trot and then finished out doing the big Eck and the Grand Prix and things like that. What are the benefits of working with a program like that from start to finish? And why is that type of program seem to be so rare? Well, I think it's rare because most people want to be a specialist. Most people, I'm a jumper rider. I'm the Eck trainer. You know, sure. if, if a jumper person has a kid coming up, that's going to go to the app, they send them to Missy, they send them to mm-hmm. Stacia. You know, in other words, there are some people that that's their thing. Andre, if I thought I wasn't able to get them to the, whatever stage they needed to get to, and I've always said this, then you would go on to somebody that to take you farther. If that's right. what needs to be, I've been fortunate that I've not hit a wall anywhere Mm -hmm. along the process. And I've gotten kids that, you know, don't have much money to indoors and don't have, you know, any real backing. And I'm trying to expose as many people to as much as I can expose them to within within my power. In other words, I think most people don't do it. First of all, the lesson program doesn't make any money. So most people don't want to do that because Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any money. (laughs) But I think it's so important. And it's all my clients, that's 90% of my clients, that's where they have come from. You're Mm -hmm. correct. Most of my kids have started, they've come to a birthday party or Uh come to summer camp or taken their first up-down lesson. And then they've gotten a small pony, a medium pony, a large pony, a neck Mm -hmm. horse, you know, a jumper, a blah, 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 up the ladder, depending on, you know, how far they get to go. But to me, the continuity of it, and we have lots of opinions because I have lots of people that work for me. Mm-hmm. If I thought they were missing out on something, then I'd try and figure out how to fill that hole. Sure. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't think we're, we are at this moment in time, but certainly there's probably been times when I didn't have somebody that was strong at something or another. Mm-hmm. I've fortunately been able to be fairly successful with both hunters, jumpers, and equitation kids. No, have I had winner? Have I had, you know, a big Eck winner? No, but I've gotten in the top 20. And they're unknown kids on unknown horses doing it and still going to school full time. Right. And school's more important than the horseback riding. So if they've got a test, they don't come to the horse show. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I'm doing it for more the, a more average person. You know, the big winners are the kids that are homeschooling, have access to multiple, multiple, multiples mm-hmm. horses and are being drilled on, drilled on, drilled on, drilled on. 
Right. We want to have a life. Mm-hmm. I've always tried to have a life on top of being so immersed in this. And I like the people that work for me to have a life. You know, they only come to the barn four or five days a week. That's pretty rare. You know, we're <laughs> off on Tuesday. You know, when we're not horse showing, like right now with yeah. the thing, they're, they're only coming in on Monday for a half a day, Tuesday, Wednesday for a half a day, Friday for a half a day, and Saturday for a half a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you can't go and do anything right now, but it, you know, yeah. I they want a weekend off. I have enough people that I can say, yes, go take that weekend if that's what you need to do. Sure. You know, now, you know, when it's during WEF, yeah, we're working seven days a week a lot of times, Yeah. you know, but I try to rotate who's doing what and give them a little bit of time. But it's, as we all know, it's very all encompassing Mm -hmm. and it can really take over your life if you don't pay attention a little bit. I really believe in being well-rounded. I mean, when I was a kid, I played varsity field hockey all the way into college. I played lacrosse. I swam on the swim team. I took tennis lessons. Mm -hmm. I rode horses. I sang in the church choir and I played clarinet in the school band. (laughs) So when somebody tells me they they can't get their kid to a lesson, I go, what? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I can't even imagine. I mean, my first job was teaching swimming, Mm -hmm. you know, to little kids because I went and got my, you know, lifeguard stuff. That was one of my first summer jobs, you know, but we live in kind of a, strange world mm-hmm. us horse people and you know with no horse shows going on I'm sure a lot of these people are like lost yeah totally lost <laughs> you know I'm financially lost but I'm not lost right yeah <laughs> you I'm, have plenty to do <laughs> I have things I can do yeah. I have interests that I like you know right. and and I think that that's an important part of of being a for for just as a human you know I just think it's an important part of life yeah, that's a great so, point. Is there an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like either the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or talk a lot about? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I really think that the IEA and the college programs, when uh-huh. we do an IA team, we do FAU and the school program. I mean, it's to me, it's an integral part mm-hmm. and it gets the least amount of attention because it's the least exciting. <laughs> it's the <laughs> least, you know, it's not very glamorous. But there's um, still a lot of work to put on, to put together. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Probably more work yeah. is the problem, but I don't know that there's anything in specific that, you know, I mean, I like, I like bringing out young hunters and I like mm-hmm. bringing out, I love finding a horse that nobody saw was going to be something and yeah. ending up having to be something. Totally. Probably if, it, if there was something that really kind of jazzes me up is having, and it could be a horse or a kid. I mean, for instance, you know, Erica Jacobson is not a classically built equitation rider. Mm-hmm. And the, for her last year, we leased her a horse, which after the fact we found out was kind of a bad actor. Huh. Now, fortunately for us, he was not. He worked in my program fabulously, and I'm fortunate that I took him, and Mm -hmm. I had an instinct about it, and that's what got me into this business. I've always had an instinct about the animals. There's Mm -hmm. always been able to kind of tell, ooh, there's something about that one. That's a really good instinct to have. Yeah, and and so, you know, she was top 20 at Harrisburg, and she was gotten to the George, it's not the George Morris thing, whatever they call mm-hmm. it now, the, the, you know, the class at WEF. And I mean, she did some 
good things. And again, she's not a true equitation rider. She's not built really for it. But it was very satisfying for me to both have people go up to me, oh my God, I can't believe how good that horse is going. Mm. You know, because I took a horse that everyone wouldn't touch with a temple pole, but because Uh I'm a little bit out of the loop of things, it was a nice fit for my kid. And, you know, every once in a while, he you know, pitch a fit. He didn't like ring nine. So every once in a while, he'd be a little stupid, (laughs) Uh but not so stupid that you couldn't deal. And he always went into indoors and was a good boy. He walked right out to that Grand Prix field for that George Morris class and was a good boy. You know what I mean? Wow. So those kinds of things always, I guess I'm always rooting for the underdog. So when I have Marcus Al, I brought up and he has not doesn't own a horse. I've got him to indoors the last two years. And we won three, all three or two of the three of the 15 to 17s mm-hmm. at, at Kentucky yeah. at, at, right before the medals. Now he bombed in the medals because the pressure was too much, oh. but that's still <laughs> to have him yeah. win with all those kids and all that. It's amazing. To me, those are the things I remember. I mean, Jimmy Trano and I used to ride against each other. He was 14 years old and I was 20 something. And he had three hot, fast brown thoroughbreds and I had one hot, fast brown thoroughbred. Uh And he called me crazy lady and I called him crazy kid. And no (laughs) one touched our time because we were both ridiculously fast. And it was just fun. I mean, that was a $500 horse I bought off the racetrack, you know? (laughs) But it's really the small things. I think so many people forget that in our business. I think mm-hmm. they all, oh, we have to go to indoors and we have to win at Devon and we have to, you know, the one time I went to Devon with a pony, I was the groom. I was a truck driver. Mm-hmm. I was a trainer. I was all of it. And it was a medium pony. It goes right in that ring and it wins the model. Hmm. Now that pony had been to, to to Devon four or five times before me. It happened to be, it, it was originally Darren Graziano's pony. Okay. And everyone's going, who's that pony? What's that pony? Who's that pony? Yeah. Well, I had it just the right amount of fat and I had it whiter than white can be mm-hmm. because I learned that trick somewhere along the line. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I taught the kid how to stand it up properly and it had never been anywhere near that. Hmm. You know, and that same year she hacked off for a reserve champion at Washington. Nice. But those are the things that, you know, I took one that everyone said, oh, it's difficult. It's this. Uh-huh. I, I, I get in its head a little bit and I figure out, ooh, well, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They used to train on it so bad. It was mad all the time. We didn't sure. train on it hardly at all. We made it tired. I've told the kid to put her knuckles in the neck and leave its mouth alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it liked it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes less is more. Right. So I just think that get a little hung up. I mean, it, and, it, and, and I can tell you, it's sometimes depressing for me to be at WEF. You know, unfortunately, it's right in my backyard. Mm-hmm. It's made me a much better trainer. It's made my business bigger. It's, it's done wonders for me as a professional. Right. But it's, it's hard at the end of the season and you kind of look and you go, gosh, you know, I don't feel like we did as well this year as we did last year. Now, mm. to be honest, a ribbon anywhere in those classes with, but we still, we won some meter 40 classes. I mean, yeah. we, we had plenty of winning, but it's, it's defeating to me a little bit when mm-hmm. you've got the 30 and 40 in a class and you got an 82, but it doesn't right. get a ribbon. Right. I know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You know, because I do have a couple of good clients that have some expensive horses, but the large majority of mine are average Joes. If I lived anywhere else in the country, I wouldn't come to West. Right. I don't know where I'd go, but I, you know, whether it'd be Ocala or Gulfport or, sure. but I probably wouldn't come to West because you could, you know, you even Venice, you could kick butt and take names instead of right. feeling like you're beating your head against the wall. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but it definitely. does make you raise your game. It does make you work sure. harder, try harder, but it's hard, mm-hmm. you know. And I can't even imagine kids starting out and trying to start out in that venue. I know. I mean, I I worked my way to that place. I didn't mm-hmm. start. Well, actually, I did kind of start there because when it, it started, I was already doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, when it started, it was in Miami, and it was. Uh-huh. Uh, fairgrounds and it was it was not what it is today and the funny thing is is those barns at at WEF the permanent barns at WEF are copies of barns I designed for the polo club in Boca Raton oh wow they they were built after mine okay we built our first and then they took my design and I had some extras in mine that they didn't have I had a hot and water hot and cold running wash racks and you know I mean Uh I had but it was basically the same Exact the same roof line, wow. same stall fronts, same company. Because okay. they came to me and said, "Do you mind if we use your pattern?" And I go, "No, <laughs> go ahead." Nice. So, so that's how long I've been there. Wow. <laughs> I've been around. So cool. That's awesome. Well, Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Equestrian Podcast. It was so cool to hear your story and how much of a big part and an important part of the industry that uh, you work in. So, I just wish you all the best. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me on. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week. 